This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Time is a weird thing for all kinds of reasons. Picture the scene. We're down in American gold mine. It's the start of the 20th century. It's hot, it's dark, it's dusty. A weary miner is taking off his dirty clothes. He throws the blue ragged trousers onto the mud, turns his back and makes his way home after a disappointing day, finding absolutely nothing. And there those ragged trousers would remain. The years pass, the mine abandoned, completely forgotten, until one day, a hundred years or so later, through the darkness, we see a torch. Its light bounces around the walls and timbers and then stops. Oh my God, yells a voice, I'm rich. I see wonderful things. He's having a Howard Carter moment. Because caught in the circle of light of the torch isn't a golden nugget sticking out of the wall. It's a pair of Levi jeans the miner threw away a hundred years ago. If only he'd kept them, they are now worth more than anything he could have found in that mine. And welcome to Patented, my podcast about the history of inventions. Today, we're talking about the history of my favourite jeans, my Levi 501s. I've had other jeans, but the Levi 501s are, are, are the classic. I grew up in the 1980s. And of course, I remember, and you probably will too if you're my age, that very, very famous advert with Nick Kamen. I heard it on the grapevine was the tune. He walks into the laundrette, takes off his clothes in front of everyone. Everyone is aghast. Down to his white boxer shorts, throws the jeans in the machine, and he sits down reading a magazine. It's a classic advert. And I remember watching it as a kid and thinking, oh my God, that's badass. I must have those. And I've worn Levi's pretty much every day since. 150 years ago, this year, in fact, Levi Strauss, 
and a man called Jacob Davis took out a patent for the world's first ever pair of jeans. And they were what we now call the Levi 501s. And an early pair, if you find a pair down a mine, they're worth an absolute fortune today. And they were not created, of course, to look fashionable or to be hipster or anything like that. But instead, to put up with the hard use that they would have got from, you know, the San Francisco gold rust back in 1849 and onwards. My guest today is Tracy Panek. She is the house historian for Levi's. And we talk about how those very first pair of jeans came to be and how these denim trousers with a little rivets and a picture of two horses on the back, you know, pulling the pair of jeans, went from a pair of commoner garden work clothes to symbols of rebellion and to high street fashion. Enjoy. Tracy, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> where are you? You look somewhere really nice and <laughs> well, I'm very tidy where you are. <laughs> working from home, but this is the San Francisco Bay Area, so for me it's it's morning. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you're in San Francisco. I didn't realize you're in San Francisco, which is yes. the part of our sorry. Tell, just what do you what do you do at Levi? What's your what's your role? I am the historian. So I've got a graduate degree in history. I'm the historian. I'm director of the company archives, a unique role. Tracy Tracy, Tracy, I need to talk to you because I have lived my whole life wearing Levi's. Everything has been about Levi's. You know, probably from when I saw the Nick Kamen advert, the famous advert in the UK. Did you have that in America, the, that one in the laundrette, the famous one that we all talk about? It came out in the UK, but of course I know of it and it's super popular. Yeah, I think it was It was one of those. It just sort of changed the advertising landscape, I remember, in the UK. Like, I think the song, the Marvin Gaye song, like went to number one in the charts. It, it was such like... A massive thing, and of course, everyone rushed out and bought and bought Levi's. I, I have to say, before that, I was wearing Levi's when I was about ten. I remember having my first pair of Levi's, and I just remember. I don't know. I think maybe it was the kind of Marlon Brando, James Dean thing as well. I think I, I don't know. You know, in Marlon Brando and the Wild One, it was part of that kind of uniform that I really was kind of slightly obsessed about. What's the oldest pair of Levi's you guys have in the collection? We're our our oldest date to the 1870s. 1870s. Crikey. <laughs> yes. Let's start at the very beginning. When did, uh, so 1870s, is that pair number one? When did Levi's start? Like what, what was the first pair of jeans? Well, the jeans came along 20 years after Levi himself. <laughs> but okay, yeah. The invention of the modern blue jean happens in 1873. In fact, mm. in 2023, we celebrate the 150th anniversary of uh, the patent that led to that. You want to talk about that or you want to talk about Levi? <laughs> uh, let's talk about Levi first. Let's get into who he was. It's such a famous name. It's such a famous brand. Who was Levi Strauss? Yeah, Levi was the founder of the company that is still around and, and yeah. headquartered in San Francisco today. So he was an immigrant mm. to the United States. He was born in Germany and was the youngest son in a Jewish family, had very few opportunities for work where he was, and he just decided to immigrate to the United States. Mm -hmm. Went first to New York. So this would have been in the, in the mid-1800s. 
went first to New York because he had two brothers there who had a dry goods business, a dry goods wholesale business. And dry goods were things like fabric, umbrellas, underwear, and uh, things that, that you could use for your household mm-hmm. wares. And he learned about the business from them until he heard about something going on on the West Coast of the United States. It was the gold rush. And he decided that he would head there. In the 69, that's what I always think of. With the 49ers. 49ers, yeah, 49ers. 69. 69ers, yes. something else, Tracy, ignore me. <laughs> that, <laughs> 49ers. <that's right. laughs> well, we have our San Francisco 49ers football team to keep that straight. Yeah, so he comes out to San Francisco during the gold rush, but he doesn't come to mine for gold. He comes out to set up his business, but he can do it under his own name, expanding the family business, but under his own name. What is it about San Francisco and gold rushes? So you've got the 49ers and then the kind of Silicon Valley gold rushes in the early 90s. Something about that little it's area. Second, of, yeah, it's like the it is. It's a great area of innovation. It uh, is, an area it? where it's right uh, on the Pacific Ocean. When the gold rush happened in the 1800s, there were thousands of people coming in to mine for gold. But mm. the modern gold rush, Silicon Valley, is similar in the sense that there are people coming attracted to a place where you can create, innovate, do something forward thinking. Yeah, it's, it's, it continues today. I've spent a lot of time there. I know it well. Okay, so he comes over. He's clever, you see. He says, well, I might not find gold, but there's a lot of people there and a lot of people will need dry goods. So he just went on his own whim. Like, how did he get there? Did he I mean, 1849, did he take a horse and cart? Or, I mean, like, it's a long old journey. You had to plan it out. Yeah, no, he, uh, <laughs> it took him a month, and that was the shortest route. Crikey. He took a steamship down to Panama from New York. Then he had to cross over Panama. This is before the canal. Mm-hmm. And then at the Pacific side, took another steamship up to San Francisco, arriving March, a rainy March 1853. It was about a month to get there, but it was before the Transcontinental Railroad came across the United States. And so what did you do? So he arrives, and then what happens? So so how do we get from that to Levi Strauss 501's Nick Kamen in a laundrette? (laughs) Fill in the gap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, there's a long story there, but to cut to the chase, (laughs) Levi arrives in 1853. He sets up his business. His first order of business is to find a warehouse Mm -hmm. immediately. He's got to find a place Uh, for a storage of goods that his brothers have arranged to send, Mm. dry goods, and finds a place near the waterfront and is prepared a month later for this shipment, this first shipment of dry goods that will help launch his business. And that's really the start of it. He is able to set up relationships with small little shops all over the mining area and California Mm. and the West in particular, sets up his business, does it under his own name and becomes incredibly successful very quickly and like why was he presumably he had he wasn't just selling 501s like he had a dry goods business so what was it about that that made him successful like did he was he like the only one did he have like a monopoly or well there were a couple things and this is years before the 501 so this is 20 years before he's setting up his business he has a network of people he's probably got letters of introduction he's able to create a network to uh, sell supplies Mm -hmm. he's a genius in creating not only that network but in working on marketing and and branding as we'll see later on when they finally introduce manufacturing the riveted products but he does it successfully and Actually, four years after he is settled in uh, San Francisco, he sends a shipload of gold or treasure, as it's described, back to New York. 
and the shipload of treasure actually sinks. The ship sinks off of North Carolina on its way to New York, but there's a huge amount of profits that are lost, but it's an indication of just how successful and how quickly. Wow. Okay, so tell me about, you mentioned rivets, and I suppose that's kind of the heart of the story, isn't it, in terms of invention, in terms of patent. What did he do? What did he invent? I mean, you know, trousers existed, pants existed, work clothes existed. So what was new? I mean, did jeans exist at that point? Yeah. It is a story. I mean, I think about denim and I think about France and denim and that particular denim material existed before that, didn't it? Pants had been around, trousers, work pants. The story of the invention of the modern blue jean is really a story. It's a tiny idea and it happens uh, in the 1870s. And it comes from one of Levi's customers. He's a tailor who's living in Reno, Nevada. It's an area where the Comstock silver load has been discovered. He's making pants. There's a lot of workers, miners, others who are living in the area. And he comes up with the idea of taking a tiny piece of metal, mm-hmm. a rivet, adding it to the pockets of a pair of pants where you're putting your hands in and out. There's a lot of movement there and it prevents them from tearing. And the pants start selling like hotcakes. And in a letter in 1872, he writes to Levi, He tells him of this unusual process for making pants, along with ordering some supplies. Levi is his fabric supplier. And he invites the company, Levi and the company, to take out a patent for this unusual riveting process. And Levi agrees. He hasn't done manufacturing before, but he agrees. And on May 20th, 1873, a U.S. patent is granted to this tailor, whose name is Jacob Davis and Levi Strauss and Company. That's amazing. So, gosh, does the kind of first pair of Levi's with the rivets in exist? Is that, I mean, what did they look like? And Well. <laughs> I mean, I've had a look at the picture of the patent. They don't look like no 501s that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, the patent gives you an indication of where the rivets were. But the original pants, they came in two uh, different fabrics. Denim was one and duck cloth, which is kind of a, a brown, heavy-duty canvas cloth was the other. They were both riveted. They both had the same kinds of features. Denim is the one that became popular. They look very much like today's. A little bit different. They were an overall. That's what they were called back then. So they were kind of oversized. This wasn't your skinny jean. It was oversized. It had rivets. That was the key innovation. There was a, a patch on the back, which we still have today, eventually would have the two horse trademark that Levi's is famous for. Uh, yeah, if you check out your Levi's, you might still find that on there. It had a button fly because there were no zippers. It hadn't been invented. The Levi Strauss and Co. original, I'm reading the back, I'm reading the label that's still on every pair yep. of Levi's. San Francisco, California, that's you. Yep. Original riveted quality clothing, XX. So there's a couple of things I want to ask you about this. Such a Please. famous logo. The two horses. So the picture is two horses pulling a pair of jeans apart and the horses are being you know, with a, there's two guys. Yep. I mean, it's a great image, obviously, showing how strong the jeans are. Yep. Horses can't pull them apart. Did that happen? Was it a thing? Or is it just a kind of an image that they thought that would be a good selling point? Well, it was an image that was memorable. So as the patent, uh, patents don't last forever. They will eventually expire. And in the United States, they last 17 or so years. Yeah. And when the patent came close to expiring, the company realized they needed an image that made it clear This was a pair of Levi's. They knew they would have competitors. In fact, they'd had competitors before the patent had expired and they had to take people to court and Mm -hmm. litigate. But the image, the two horses, was clear 
to a customer. This is a pair of Levi's. You'll know from the quality. And even if you didn't speak or read English, which was important because a lot of immigrants who came to California during the gold rush didn't speak it, but they could look at that image and they knew it was a genuine pair of Levi's. Genuine pair of Levi's. Yeah. It's one of the oldest continuously used trademark. Okay. Next question. 501. What does 501 mean? What is the number? Because that's the, that's the, I mean, there's lots of, there's, you know, 901, all kinds of 01s. Was 501 the first kind of ones that they made? Was that the original gene? Or were there yes, others? but 501 didn't come out until later. So originally you would either write, we see this in some of our early invoices, patented blue denim pants. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to spell or maybe <laughs> XX. Yeah. It was a lot number. 501 was introduced in 1890, and it was a lot number for inventorying sake. You could just write down three little numbers, and it meant that it was the best of our denim riveted products. We'll be back after this short break. We try to bring you cold, hard facts on Gone Medieval, but January is all about mysteries. Impossible riddles from medieval history that defy efforts to solve them. How did the presence of a mysterious saviour from the East turn into devastation? What secrets does a book written in an unknown code hide? Did kings and princes really die when history has assumed they did? I'm Matt Lewis and in January we'll see how close we can get to answering the unanswerable and ask how these mysteries might be solved in the future. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag. A watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So the idea or the patent was because they wanted to strengthen the pockets. Why would they need to strengthen the pockets? Like, What was all that about? Well, people putting their hands in and out. If you push, putting your hands in and out and they would tear. It's at the stress points. And adding the the rivet, and let me describe a rivet because I will often keep one in my pocket. It's tiny. It's smaller than the tip of your finger, let's say. And it's made of copper. They were, for those first years, they would have been hand hammered 
onto the pockets, the areas where they were kept. There were rivets originally on the pockets, the front pockets, the back pockets, and as well, uh, one on the mm-hmm. base of the, uh, the button fly, the crotch fly that we eventually got rid of. But those little tiny rivets just strengthened the pants so that they wouldn't tear. I've got it. If you look at your jeans, ladies and gents, you can have a little go. That You said there was one at the bottom of yeah. the button fly on the crotch. Yes. Wasn't that, I seem to remember that they took that away because, or maybe it was a TV commercial, that there's a kind of cowboy sitting by the fire roasting a hot dog and, and he's sitting too close and the river gets too hot. Is that or is that is that a myth or Yeah, don't know about the hot dog, but the fire part is definitely true <laughs> definitely true. Yeah. So it is true. Is that true? Is that actually true? Is that why they removed it? Because it was huh. Well I'll tell you. So the story is and the story is that our CEO, who was an avid outdoor fan and camped a lot, it happened to him. Wow. <laughs> and he decided that was enough. It got hot in a very delicate place and yes. eventually we removed it. So yeah, right around World War II. And it was also a time when we were saving metal and fabric. So we removed the rivets there and and a few other rivets that were uh, on the back. Okay. The other thing we know about fiber ones is they're blue. They're very blue. That denim, that blue denim. Why blue? Why that particular dye? Why not? Why aren't jeans red or green or purple? Yeah. The indigo blue color is an important part of blue jeans and the the reason is because of their ability to hide dirt essentially so these were originally work pants and you could have a dirty pair of pants but the stains wouldn't show we've got some in our archives uh one that i particularly like called barnyard that dates to 1890 and they they're covered with dirt brown dirt but you don't notice Mm. it much because of the indigo yeah so denim was a long time workwear fabric that was indigo color. Every stain tells a story. There's a book there. I think maybe I'll write a book called Every Stain Tells a Story. I think that'd be good. Hey, listen, if I want to go Levi mining, if I want to find a kind of really rare old pair of Levi's, where should I go looking? Do I need to, other than down mines? You do not have to go to a mine. Yeah, head to head to a thrift shop. You can find uh, used Levi's. In fact, the older and the more worn, the more character they have. They get better with age. So you can go thrifting. You can find them on online auction houses, uh, things like eBay or Etsy. Yeah. And you can find them at uh, new at shops local retail shop. Just while we're there, we're just in the, on thinking about these early days. I want you just to tell us what life would have been like in San Francisco during that time. Like the, who were the people who would have been wearing these clothes and what would they have been doing? And to tell me about the sort of the popularity of them and how that grew in that time in, in San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco during the gold rush, thousands of people were coming in. It had been a pretty sleepy city up until that point, but it became a, it's often referred to as the Barbary Coast very early, as um, people came flooding into San Francisco, a lot of lawlessness, kind of the Wild West, if you will. But there were also a lot of working men. And most of them were probably not working directly in the city. They were probably out in the mining camps. And those were the ones that were wearing some of the first 501s. So they would be blue collar workers or anyone who needed tough pants. The irony of the Levi's is that Levi, this very successful businessmen would never have worn them 
He would have worn a three-piece suit. <laughs> right, yeah. <was> he? <laughs> what happened to him? I mean, obviously he had this, when did he die? When did, you know, what did he leave behind? Levi, he certainly left his name behind and his, his legacy with his products, but he died in 1903, mm-hmm. never married, didn't have any children, and, and his four nephews took Sensible. over the business. <laughs> right, yeah. <okay. laughs> <laughs> Actually, just before we move into the sort of present and the future, I want to ask about this idea of mining for jeans because I read somewhere that a guy found a really old pair of Levi's down a mine once, like out in California. Did you read about that story? Well, it happens commonly. Does it? I read some guy, it was like, from a pair of jeans, I think from maybe the 1920s or, or so. There are people who actually go mining for Levi jeans down mines. Well, there's a lot of adventurers, but yeah, it's actually pretty common. So, a lot of mining companies would have bought loads of our Levi's. And the question about why were their pants left yeah. in the mines, it's it's really kind of a simple answer. So you would have something like a mudroom in a mine. This is a place where the workers who were coming in would dress in their waist overalls, as those early Levi's were called. They could uh, pull them up over their long underwear or their other pants. They'd do a shift. And at the end of the shift, they take them off and hang them on a peg in the mudroom of the mine and then head out for the day. So you would have groups, in some cases, of Levi's in there. Wow. So down there, in old abandoned mines, there's valuable denim, valuable Levi's down there. Is there a kind of holy grail of Levi's? What's the kind of one that everybody wants to find from back in the day? Is there a kind of a particular year or a vintage year of Levi that's the kind of the really valuable one to get? Well, the earliest are rare. Uh, 1906, San Francisco has a great earthquake and fire, and most of the company headquarters is destroyed. And because of that, we have a very few of the earliest of our products. So yeah, uh, absolutely anything from the 19th century is pretty rare. And then, you know, today, the more modern jeans, you find, find the pair that were worn by Marlon Brando in The Wild One. Give me a call. Listen, okay, I got a question about that actually because I'm a big Marlon. Oh, I certainly when I was a kid, I used to love Marlon Brando. I still love Marlon Brando. But I remember the wild one. It was the uniform. And it was the uniform because, you know, every punk rocker wore that same shot perfecto leather jacket and a pair of Levi's. And I don't know where I tried I went on a mission once trying to find out where the jacket was. Nobody knows where Marlon Brando's jacket was. Does anyone know where the jeans are? Any idea? Have you has anyone tried at Levi trying to source it? I would love to know. Me too. No. Not because of not willing or wanting to find them. Yeah. Somebody somewhere there are Marlon Brando's 501s from the wild one. And also James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. I think he wore, did he wear 501s? I'm pretty sure he did. He must have done. If he didn't, I'm just going to say he did because uh, he wore the red jacket and the blue jeans. So I'm, I'm going to assume they were Levi's. There's certainly that image of the blue jean and what it portrays. And really, it was James Dean and Marlon Brando who gave the jean that kind of rebel, yeah. rebellious, infused it with rebellion. And- That's right. There's that kind of crossover. And I'm interested in that. Like, when did it suddenly stop becoming miners and blue collar workers and suddenly became the kind of uniform of rebellious youth, 1950s, 1960s? I mean, certainly in the UK as well, the kind of rockers in the 1960s, it was blue, it was Levi's and it was black leather shot perfecto black leather jacket, motorcycle jacket. Yeah, it didn't happen immediately, but it really came out of the idea of motorcycle clubs. So a lot of World War II, let's go back to World War II, a lot of GIs, when they aren't in uniform, are wearing 501s and t-shirts. They come back from the war uh, back to the United States, and many of them want to rekindle that feeling of brotherhood that they'd felt with other soldiers during the war. 
they form motorcycle clubs and uh, they became particularly uh, popular in the San Francisco Bay Area and other areas. And 501s became the uniform. They would wear them cuffed. I've, I've always worn my jeans cuffed because I always wanted to be in a motorcycle. I always wanted to be in Marlon Brando's motorcycle gang. So I always wear my jeans. Now hipsters wear them like that. I have to not wear them like that. But there you go anyway. But that's what it was, that sort of sense of brotherhood, that sense of bonding. It's that motorcycle Motorcycle culture. Yeah, yeah, films like Rebel Without a Cause and The Wild One and all those kinds of things. And th- so but they become kind of fashionable. And were Levi producing other brands at the time? So there was the 501, which is a slightly wider leg. A slight doesn't, you know, it's not the skinny. They have a slightly higher waist. It's kind of a straight. Straight leg. Yeah, a little bit lower on the waist. Yep. That's the icon. That's the one that we still have today. By the 60s, when you have this rising youth culture, so many of them are adopting Levi's. Mm. We introduce a few other fits. Uh, The 505 is an example, and it was a zippered fit. So it came a little slimmer Mm. and a zipper. And perhaps most famous on the cover of Sticky Fingers, Rolling Stones, that's a 505, mm-hmm. the zippered a blue jean. But the, the 501's the, the icon. It seems that every generation since 1849 has discovered the Levi 501, from sort of rockers, rockabilly, punk rock, through to sort of hippies in the 60s, through to, I don't know. Steve Jobs and entrepreneurs. Steve, Steve Jobs, <laughs> everyone. It just seems that <laughs> yeah. wherever you, it yeah. seems that every generation kind of rediscovers it, rebrands it. I remember actually, and I must have been around about the 1980s sometimes. Actually, it must have been, it was before the fall of communism, before the end of the Soviet Union. There would be like Levi riots in the streets of Moscow. I remember reading about that. Like if you had a pair of Levi's and you could take them over to Moscow in the Soviet times, you know, you could sell them for like, amazing amounts of money because they were this prized commodity. It was, yeah. Blue jeans were banned behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. And of course, they became a commodity. Uh, People wanted to have them. I interviewed a a man who was heading to the Olympics, the 1980 Olympics, which were in Moscow. Yeah, Moscow. Yeah. And he was from Finland, didn't have money to get to Moscow. So he bought a bunch of Levi's 501s, uh, took them to Red Square, sold them you know, (laughs) sold them, I guess, uh, (laughs) quietly and uh, made enough money not only to stay there, but to get back and have extra. They really became a popular symbol, really another symbol of rebellion because you couldn't get them and you weren't supposed to. Well, that's exactly what people wanted. They are they're more than a pair of trousers. They are more than just a fashion item. I think the Levi, particularly the five one, it is a symbol of America, isn't it? It's Americana. It's I suppose the American dream, the idea of the movement West, the gold rush, all of that stuff. It is such a, I don't know, you guys should, maybe if you ever redo your flag, if the Betsy Ross (laughs) needs a redo, you could just have a pair of Levi's up there. So as it is, it's kind of. I agree. It may be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy, a pleasure, a pleasure, a pleasure, a pleasure. Lovely to have your company. And thank you very much. I feel, you know, I'm going to go back on my Marlon Brando, where are Marlon Brando's 501s mission again? See if I can find them. Do that. Yeah. I would love it if you could track those down. I might go on a hunt for, <laughs> for famous rock and roll costumes. I guess that's a, some stories for another day, Dallas. That's <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. Don't get involved. If I, if I, but if I found them, I'll get in touch. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, Don't forget, get in touch with any suggestions and don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you can bear to. I will see you next time. Thank you very much for your company as ever. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Folk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.